Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to day two of the 2022 MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Uh, thanks for joining us bright and early this morning. We got a great panel to kick off the day. I'm Bob Hayes, an MBA student at MIT Sloan. Uh, happy to uh, introduce our panel this morning, Data is the New Muscle. Great set of panelists today. Uh, right here we have John Nisi, COO of Azure Data and Artificial Intelligence at Microsoft. We have Don Aponte, Chief Football Administrative Officer at the NFL. We have Dayan Mikofsky, who is the VP Analytics at FanDuel. And moderating us today is Yael grushka Kakane, uh, an acclaimed professor from University of Virginia's Darden School of Business. Uh, so I think you all know the drill at this point. It might be your first day here, though. So you can all submit questions via Twitter. Uh, our hashtag is data is the new muscle. Any question you submit, make sure to use that hashtag. We'll be monitoring those live, uh, and Yael will do her best to get to as many of those as possible. Uh, so thanks again for joining us today. And with all that, I will turn it over to Yael and our excellent panelists. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Everybody awake? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that wasn't that convincing. Okay, we'll, we'll work on that. Uh, good morning. Uh, thank you, Bob, for that uh, amazingly smooth introduction. Uh, good morning to our panelists. Thank you all for being awake at 8.30. Uh, some of us uh, traveled far uh, to be here. Um, this, the topic of the day is data is the new muscle. So we have a goal together, collectively in the room, to create as much data as we can for the next hour. Agreed? How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? Twitter. OK, hit Twitter with our uh, ha handle, hit Twitter with questions, hit Twitter with uh, uh, comments and, and thoughts. Bob will feed that to me, and we will create a little minor like viral storm around this session, OK? And that will that will be our footprint from this session to have more data to strengthen that muscle. Love it. Okay, good. So uh, John said love it, I heard him. Okay, so we're gonna go to John. Oh. John, start us off, tell us a little bit about yourself, your role, how do you use data in your day-to-day -day, um, as a driver for uh, strategic initiatives or just decision-making in your world? And we're gonna, this is a question that I'm gonna come to all of you, so uh, we're gonna start with John on the far end. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so. Previous to what I do now, I, I was our worldwide CTO for data and AI. So uh, I practicing data scientists, led data scientists, engineers, but building solutions for customers that would go into production uh, in, in the real world. Uh, worked with many of the leagues and sports um, uh, type of scenarios. And now as more of a operating officer, uh, my mission is to put the environment in place that allows more people at Microsoft to help bring more solutions to, to our customers. So, Data is uh, so critical to everything we're doing when we decide um, where's the market, what are the needs of customers, how are we going to predict that and see where, where they're going. We take in structured signal from all of our signals over the internet. We take on structured signal from analysts, bring that all together, and of course have to factor in engineering and products and figure out, okay, what is going to sing? What's going to work? What's going to help? folks really achieve what they need to achieve when they say, I'm going to mature or start my data journey. So um, it could be anything from uh, putting in a decision system. It could be something where we say, I just want to look backwards. 
we'll look across the whole maturity spectrum analytics and, and really try to make decisions because we're, we're steering uh, about 10,000 people in, in a direction. Uh, and if they're not set up for success to help customers, NFL and others, um, then, then we haven't done our job very well. Okay, beautiful. Can you give us a minor or a more local myopic decision-making situation that is informed by data in your specific role? In yeah, um, so right now, we have propensity models that we can look at when a customer decides to take a Microsoft on-ramp to the cloud. Where will they go next? And do we have the product set? Do we have the, the incentive? Do we have the marketing? Do we have everything we need to make that easy for them and stitch it together? So what we literally do is we can look at each step of the funnel journey of a customer and then we can find out where the gaps are with an engineering miss or a product issue or a bug. And we take those, we cluster them together, and then we decide simply where do we go knock them down first. So it is it is day to day of the journey of our customer. Beautiful. Thank you so much, yeah. John. Great start. Uh, Don, we're up to you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your role, and how you use data in your day-to-day -to, -day to make uh, strategic or otherwise decisions. Sure. Good morning, everyone. So um, my role is somewhat overarching. I deal with pretty much everything, all aspects that, that are related to the game. So everything from policies, competitive integrity, um, the, uh, the field surfaces, the sideline technology, uh, pretty much everything that's related to uh, game day in and around the game. And then brought more broadly, a key focus of my role is really to connect all of the other departments, particularly within the league office, uh, that also touch the game. So working closely with international, with IT, with um, the club services, uh, with health and safety, and health and safety is probably one of the the biggest areas that we've really started to spend a lot of time on. Um, over the years, we've looked at a lot of data that drive the decisions that are made, uh, particularly with the competition committee, the rules uh, officiating. So uh, a couple of years ago, we were looking at concussions. Concussions was a significant issue uh, that we really wanted to try to figure out how to make it better. And when we look at rules changes, we have to look at it to say, OK, we have the data, but if we're going to change a rule, is it something that we can uh, coach, that the players can play, that we're able to officiate? So in 2018, uh, we said this was really the time that we needed to make a change. We kept talking about taking the head out of the game. Uh, and as a result, we passed a rule uh, use of helmet. And what that did, and again, we talk about the data and the statistics, is that it actually decreased concussions in the NFL by approximately 38% over the average from 2015 to 2017. So um, that's something that we continue to focus on. Uh, we changed the kickoff rule, uh, looking a lot at space and speed, the impact of collisions, uh, the use of the sensors and RFID devices that we put on the players. So all of that continues to expand. Uh, and we really, you know, we feel like that's in the best interest of the game, uh, both short term and long term. Okay, beautiful. And again, I'm going to uh, kind of narrow into you specifically, your role, mm -hmm. uh, chief, administra chief administrator. Yeah, that's it. Administrator Good. officer. <laughs> uh, I love that title. But give us a sense and a flavor for how data, how do you specifically in your role, not necessarily the league itself, but your mm -hmm. role, how do you use data? Really just coming up with best practices. Um, you know, we look at contingency planning. Let's take that for example. We have um, weather coming in. We look at AQI numbers if it's on, you know, let's say it's in LA. 
Uh, we look at, you know, sort of track that over the week and make a decision whether that's really going to have an impact, whether we need to change the time of the game um, and, you know, communicate with the club. So there's a lot of facets related to that, but that's just one of them sort of on a weekly basis. That gives us all a sense for the type of thing that at top of your mind. Okay, beautiful. Thank you. Uh, Dayan, we're up to you. So tell us about your role. Uh, what you do, you represent a different type of business, of course, very adjacent to, uh, to the NFL and to Microsoft, but tell us a little bit about how you use data. Um, so my role, I lead the data strategy at FanDuel. So we work across the business, everywhere from our commercial teams, to our marketing teams, to our compliance teams of uh, centralizing their data, cleansing it, cleaning it, modeling it out, and helping, just helping the organization be smarter of how we use data and the decisions that we, we make off the back of that. I think two big focus areas for our team are insights. How are we deriving the right insights to make sure that we're making the right business decisions, right? Um, and then the second thing is actual data transformation. We, are, we sit on a robust in, uh, set of data, right? I think all of us do. And that robust set of data gives you, I think, surface level analytics. And when I say surface level analytics, it's you know, very top line things that you can see. But the question is not the first why something happened, not the second why something happened, it's the third why of something happening. So you have to transform that data through models, connecting the data, transforming it, and making the data smarter for the business and how that transitions into actually making business, business uh, decisions, right? And that's across analysts, data product, and data science. Okay, beautiful. And can um, most of the folks in the room are familiar probably with your business, but can you give us example of what kind of data you specifically interact with, like as specific as you can or you feel comfortable, and even like magnitude, when we talk about lots of data, what kind of scale are we talking about? Um, so to get everyone a little bit more uh, accustomed to FanDuel, we're an online uh, gaming operator, right? So we do um, everything from uh, daily fantasy to sports betting to casino. Um, in the states in which we're legally, uh, uh, legally allowed to operate. Um, and the magnitude of the, of the data, I mean, we get 25 terabytes of data daily. Daily. Right? Oh. And, and, and it's a lot of data today. It's like that's how much data gets processed, right? Individual transactions. And so with that much data, it's how do you facilitate the data? And to answer your question of what are the questions, what am I being asked, we focus so much on our users, so much on the experience of our, of our users. And um, a big thing in our space is, how do you get people onto the platform and give them the best experience? Is it through a promotion? Is it through the UI? And how do you test that? Right. right? And so day to day, those, those are the types of decisions that we're looking to, to make. And those are the things that I'm focusing in on to help our exec team and help um, all of our leaders to make those right decisions of, hey, how did we get this person onto our platform? How are they interacting with our platform? And then what are the things in which we're doing to enhance their experience? Because people are coming onto the platform for entertainment. All based on data, right? All, all, data. all of those decisions and all based on data. The title of our panel is Data is the New Muscle, mm. New uh, Emphasis. Um, I think it's fair to say that we all ha collectively have quite a bit of experience here on our panel uh, in terms of years uh, in the business world of, of the various domains. And I'm curious to your thoughts on you know, how have you seen things change? Is it always not been the case that data has been the center of strategic decisions? And if data has always been there and it's always been at the heart of strategic decisions, what's the difference? Like, why is this a new muscle um, 
Is it just an old muscle retitled? Uh, I'm just curious to your thoughts. And we're gonna start with Dawn and I'm gonna popcorn around. Go ahead, Dawn. Sure, so yes, 30 plus years, a lot has changed. Um, I would say for us, and particularly on the football side, we've seen vast changes in terms of how data is used, data and analytics, and really driving decisions, evaluating different things. Um, you know, just picking on coaches for a moment, um, talk about how everything is done, that you know, they have a way to do things, it's a human game, we don't take, you know, data's fine, but we really don't use it in our decision making, it's interesting. Um, I think we've seen such a shift in that. Uh, in terms of in-game decisions, situational analysis, uh, and really just understanding. I think the more that the data was able to be analyzed in a way to understand the why behind decisions were being made, uh, and now I think we, you know, we talked a little bit about this earlier about how coaches uh, were seeing that shift now in terms of sort of the next generation coming in who's really grown up with data and analytics as part of everything that they're doing. Uh, and, and really utilizing that in all different facets, whether it's their practice schedule, whether it's you know, the number of, of plays a player is going to play, um, all of the different things that uh, the tracking devices have really kind of taken us to the next level. Okay, so the sophistication of the data and the granularity of the data has changed. Like if we're thinking about yes. spectrum and what happened 20 years ago, let's say, versus today, it's the, the depth and the richness of the data. And I think you picked up, Don, on a comment that we heard before from Diana about the, the whys, right? Mm -hmm. We used to be able to use data maybe to describe a situation, to understand patterns, but now we can dig in and really understand where they're coming from and ask why, why we're seeing what we're seeing. Yep. Beautiful. John, tell us a little bit how you've seen the strategic use of data change, either at Microsoft, Boeing, or in yeah. any of the context. I, I think that, you know, it, it, everyone was on this, this journey of, like you said, sort of looking back checking out an you know, Excel spreadsheet, maybe you, had a, you know, maybe you had a chart, a pretty pretty donut chart that could show you something, but you always looked at what happened. Um, you know, we've seen since the pandemic hit, we've seen, as Satya likes to say, uh, 20 years of digital transformation in two years. It's unbelievable. And it comes from, in, in my point of view, from two different seats. So you may have a customer who is at risk and they're gonna say, oh my gosh, my entire industry just disappeared overnight and may not come back. And if I don't do something now, I'm in big trouble. Right. So, you know, I, I was in Kuala Lumpur meeting with a, a company who's the number one seller of mopeds in the whole Southeast Asia. And he said, I've got six months left. And I said, how could that be? He says, well, we, $1 ride sharing just came to my region. So a digital transformation, data-driven, app-driven, experience-driven company walked in there and did $1 ride shares and his sales plummeted. I need to transform, I have all this data, help me find my next business. You have customers who are on the cutting edge and, and realize that. So one of our great customers is, is, is a, an elevator company. You know, there's only so many buildings being built, elevators going up. And what they did was they decided to get into the elevator predictive maintenance building uh, business. So now they're looking at the sensors and they can predict in advance when something's wearing, a ball bearing, a cable, and they send people out in advance, and now they're monitoring more of their competitors' elevators than even theirs. Talk about using data to change. And then you have these other amazing companies, and many of them in sports, working with a company right now I can't say too much about, but imagine for a second what the project we're working on is to have an actual sporting event only done in, I hate, I hate the word, but I'll say it, the metaverse, only done in a virtual environment with two competitors who are going to battle it out 
with an undetermined outcome. It should be legal enough to bet on, it should be undetermined, it should let reinforcement learning AI, once they've been trained, based on talking to the two people, let, let's see what happens in that sporting event. So you have those type of customers that are just saying, this just opens the world of possibilities to me. So again, um, it's a spectrum, but it is absolutely data at the center of everything we've seen in the last five years, like we haven't seen in the 20 before. And the sophistication that I'm hearing uh, and the commonality in your comments is related to identifying that predictive task. Okay, yeah. So data on its own is helpful, but it's really how do we use it to predict, how do we define a predictive task and a right. variable that we're interested in predicting, and then how do we use it for new business models or new business ideas? It, it's all about, and Dayan hit on this, it's all about data to insight to action. And that's the hard piece. If you can stitch that together, so we did a predictive model for a big box store. They wanted to know where the storm would go so they can move thousands of snow shovels and pounds of salt up 300 miles this way or this way. And the model got it right, but on the loading dock, no one connected the operations, the stuff never moved. Mm -hmm. Data to insights to action is where great things happen. And um, I'll segue to Dayan and kind of take the question and add a little bit to it. Um, data's been there for a while, it's the new muscle, what are some of the struggles that you see when you, from your experience and from interacting with, with other, other organizations, where do you see some, some gaps? Where do you see some weaknesses that that muscle isn't quite as strong as people would like it to be? Yeah, I think, I think John hit on this, right? It's the operational side, okay. right? Analysts will do what they do. Data scientists will do what they do. They will transform the data. They'll find beautiful insights that can actually fundamentally change the business. Right, thinking about your business in a completely different way. And it could be small pieces that add up to that or one big analysis that adds up to that. Right? But then how do you take that and actually implement it? Right? And this is going to have to start at the top. So the struggle is um, data literacy. How do people understand data? How do people use data? And then actually getting the data into the systems in which they need, the infrastructure that's needed to operationalize the data. Right? And I do think that this starts at the top of any organization, where that's where a lot of the gaps are. There's a lot of intuition. I'm going to go back, right? People have always, um, not always, but people have used data, like John said, looking back. Right. Right? You're analyzing things that happened in the past, and you're not looking at the predictive. You're not looking into the future. Well, people look in the past. They say, well, this, is, this has happened over and over again. Now they use intuition instead of actually using the data. And so there's a really careful balance between the two. But that's where I, th I think the gaps are. Right? of taking that data, figuring out with that intuition, with the logical sense on top of it, and then taking that data and actually doing something with it. Because a lot of times, people will look at a piece of data, look at an insight, and say, okay, that's nice, but we've always done it like this. Right. So how do you make that jump, and how do you make that transition? I think that's a really big gap that a lot of organizations are dealing with, and a lot of organizations, uh, it's a struggle. Uh, to get there, and, and like I said, I think Dawn's hitting on it from a coaching standpoint. Yeah. There's an uh, older mindset, and then there's a newer mindset of coaches. And so it's, a, it's very tangential to, to how businesses work. Okay. I think just one other comment in terms yes, of you know, organizations, I would say that, you know, again, over 30 years, the way that the entire business model has changed in the NFL has been, you know, really just unbelievable. 
um, when I first started, we didn't really have any local revenue streams. So you talk about it starts at the top, right? That's where I really think the NFL, the league office, really started that as we started to look at um, our revenue streams, traditional media consumption being on network television, um, moving to other paid subscriptions, moving now to digital, really tracking fan engagement. And on the club side, that really, it was really so focused on the game that integrating now the business mindset to it and really how you start to generate those local revenues, applying some of those different measures and um, use of data to really tap into your fan base. And you know, fan engagement, again, is probably one of the greatest focal points on you know, the league side as well as you know, seeing how the organizations have changed. So Yeah, and there's lots of complementarity here between your organizations and mm -hmm. that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go to a few specific questions for each one of you. There's questions coming in from the audience, which are marvelous. So I'll, I'll make sure that we uh, weave them in throughout. So, uh, uh, folks, keep, keep those great questions coming. I'm being fed um, all these wonderful questions. Don, uh, you talk, you know, we know that 2020 was a, a, a difficult year, um, and you guys uh, pulled, pulled things off in the, under the most unusual circumstances. Um, tell us a little bit how data came to play um, during the, the COVID crisis and the transition to, to new, a new world. Sure. So, um, you know, Basically, the world shut down in March of 2020. Um, it was prior to us holding the NFL draft. Uh, and, you know, essentially our entire offseason was virtual, uh, something more so not, you know, uh, that wasn't so much data-driven as it was necessity-driven. Uh, however, moving out of the offseason, the key question was, are we going to be able to play a season, right? We have... We have a sport that's not only very, you know, close in proximity. We certainly weren't playing six feet or more apart. We were <laughs> facing one another. Um, all of our training is done internally. Uh, but we, you know, that's really where we talked earlier about health and safety data and information. We were learning about COVID along with the rest of the world at that time. We were trying to collect as much data as possible. I think what we really benefited from was the fact that we had a defined population and sort of a closed system of numbers of people. We were able to implement guidelines really relying on the, um, our medical experts and what we were learning. We were able to implement daily testing. We were able to do symptom tracking. Uh, we started something, you know, contact tracing. We actually wound up driving a lot of the CDC guidelines because we had the data to support the changes that we were making. We limited numbers of people. We had virtual meetings, which we talk, you know, we talk about coaches. Virtual meetings, I mean, they're used to being in conference rooms all day, um, all season long. And, you know, that whole transformation and really understanding what was causing the disease to transmit. And that was really our focal point, identify and isolate. And that's what really got us through as we, you know, sort of bolstered up our contact tracing. Uh, we did genome sequencing. When we had things like outbreaks at clubs, we would send them off to Yale to be um, to be identified and I, you know, to to see what really were they related. Did this person transmit to this person to this person? And once we understand that, we identified high risk activities that came from that. Uh, we used to say meeting, eating, and greeting. Uh, so we really we kept people out of lunchroom, out of the cafeteria. So all of those things. I mean, all of that was data driven, and it was you know really just sort of a whole cultural shift in terms of. Um, making decisions to play the game of football based on, you know, medical data. What a, well, can I jump in? What a great use case, right, of testing. It's about testing and analytics. It's about testing your data. We didn't know what was going on with the pandemic. The NFL was a test case. You helped 
define some CDC guidelines because you said, hey, here's a test that we're conducting for the population, and here's what we're seeing out at the back end of this. A test. natural experiment, if you will. It's mm -hmm. a wonderful, it's a, just a wonderful dovetail into how do you operationalize data and how do you get people to understand data? And a lot of it has to do with testing. So yep. it's a wonderful use case. And I and think just from the uh, shifting to sort of the cultural side of it, it was something that I think the intangible uh, lesson we learned was that you can accomplish anything if everyone is truly working together. We were truly committed. We knew what the objective was to play games on a week-to-week -week basis. So um, everyone had the same goals, and it was really to keep as many players available as possible so that you could play a competitive game. Beautiful. And are there any habits or learnings that you think will stick beyond as we look to a world beyond the crisis of 2020? I think one of the, the, the biggest ones is um, virtual meetings and understanding that you can get things accomplished and people all don't need to be in the same place at the same time uh, and you can still be productive. Beautiful. Um, Dayan, from your perspective uh, in the gaming and uh, betting industry, uh, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it and some ethical choices. How do you uh, think about the data and how you provide the data to, to your customers? What do you expose to them? How do you deal with those types of trade-offs every day? Yeah, I think there's a couple layers to this. First off, um, we want to be responsible as a business. We're entertainment. So you don't want anyone coming onto your platform that shouldn't be on your platform. You don't want anyone who is a problem gambler coming onto your site. So we focus really hard on modeling that out. What behaviors do we see in an individual that says, we need to give them resources because they might be a problem gambler. And I think that's like the very largest level, but something we take extremely seriously. Um, but from a data side, it gets even deeper because it has to be focused on a couple principles on data ethics, right? Um, data models can be anonymous. Data not models can go through a series of evolutions, but it's how do you conduct those models that's extremely important, right? Are they user-centric? Are they unbiased, right? As your data model skewing one way or another because you have information in that model that is biased towards a group of individuals or age or demographic, right? And then how do you decouple that? And so we focus on this um, from the very beginning. And I think it has to be at the, at, at the first step. When you're create, creating a model, you're asking yourself these questions. Who's it impacting? Is it impacting somebody negatively, right? Is it biased? How is that transforming the way you're making decisions about your entire user base? And I think that that's an extremely important thing that we, we haven't solved for yet. I think the EU's farther ahead than we are. I think the regulations are, are much more stringent than the ones in the US. And I think it's the responsibility of every organization. But it's going to get into what's necessary versus what's not necessary. Well, they're not making me do it. <laughs> well, if they're not making you do it, it doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. So at FanDuel, we, we, we focus on that. We have, uh, we have ethical guidelines for all of our data models. We have ethical guidelines for um, um, how we're doing things. And, and we're continuously we're implementing those and continuously evolving those because we don't know what the right answer is. But we know that what the wrong answer is, which is um, uh, biasing a certain individual because of the work in which we do. 
And how do you come up with those ethical guidelines? I think a lot of us aspire to have those. We just don't even know where to start to find them or define them or who maintains them. So how do you even go about doing that? Yeah, uh, I, I think it's extremely important to have a steering committee centrally that can help define that across all business units, right? To say what's important to the business and what's important even more for the users. What are the questions then you ask? So as a data scientist, as you're building a model, you should be able to ask, what data am I using? Again, I'm gonna go back. Who am I impacting with my data, right? Am I using this data and am I analyzing within my model uh, things that are skewed one way or another. And it's that steer code that is gonna give you a list of questions to start with, Beautiful. right? And then you can go into the analysis of how's it impacting, but you have to start at the very top. And I know you mentioned in our previous conversations that you are also active member of different councils and ethical groups that come together to debate how AI is evolving. Um, I guess you guys share tips and advice across organizations and across industries. Yeah, that's right, so our, our hold co is Flutter. Um, out of the UK, and there are several organizations within Flutter, and we and we collaborate. Um, so there's Australian-based companies, U.S.-based companies, Ireland-based companies, um, and and we discuss this, and we discuss what's ethics mean to you, what are the guidelines that we're all setting for each other, because I, we want to have a lowest common denominator that ex that is extremely high, because I don't want to. I mean, here's a reality. If there's some level of regulation on ethics that comes down five years from now, and I did not focus on it today from a data strategy, I have so much to unpack, right? Do I have to pause all my models? I mean, it, it could cripple our business. And so, but the right thing to do is to set a higher standard than what we have today. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so that collaboration and, and, and getting other people's viewpoints, right? It's about diversity, diversity of viewpoints of what that means, and then coming to a common ground of saying, this is the lowest standard, even though it's much higher than, what's, uh, than uh, what you have to do today. I like that. Uh, John, I know that this is a topic that you are passionate about as well, so I can see you're keen to comment. Oh, I'll go to you next, and then I'll also ask you some follow-ups uh, specifically. Sure. Yeah. No, very supportive of, of that. And, and you know, Microsoft's been on this journey for, for over 10 years, uh, but it has to start at the top, as Dayan said. Um, we put in, at the highest levels of the company, our ether, our ethics and review committee. Um, me and my team were, were part of reviewing those ideas that come across. Um, and it's important that the folks who are on these committees are as inclusive as the situations you might be reviewing, right? Everyone should not look like me. I represent a uh, first-generation college student slash Ellis Island immigrant family, but I've never lived in a war-torn country, never been persecuted for my religion, so everyone can't look like me. So you bring a full, diverse group of people in then the scenarios come in. Some of them are obvious. Um, we had one come in that said a, a government wanted to capture all the social media information in their country, do a big predictive model, and they were gonna look at who was potentially a dissident to the government in the future. Well, that's a short meeting. We're not gonna do that work. <laughs> um, but then the ones that come in that are like, okay, uh, we are a massive warehouse company and we have a safety issue. Our, our forklift driver, drivers are falling asleep. They're getting injured. Here's what we want to do. We want to put a camera in their face. We want to put a Fitbit or a sensor on their, on their hand. 
We're going to capture all their telemetry. We're going to look at when they're sleepy. We'll sound alarms. We'll swap them out. Wow, all of that sounds really safe. Um, you're going to let these folks opt in to giving up their biometric data? Well, no. We, everybody should give it. Are you going to sell that to an insurance company? Oh, we haven't thought about that. <laughs> so you have these layered conversations before you decide that you're going to take this unbelievable technology, right? A way to capture this amazing data, a way to reason over this data. It is accessible. The compute power exists now. The models exist. The stats and algorithms have always been there, but now we can do stuff with it. You have to be careful about when you're using this technology, and it is very important. Very, it's a critical part of our DNA. We've also open sourced our entire uh, ethics principles. So if you can go to Microsoft.com ethics, you'll see uh, because we've given them to the EU, we're trying to operate with governments to try and make them standard. Transparency, accountability, privacy. There's six pillars that if you haven't thought of these in advance, not after the models in the wild, right? And Microsoft has some pretty bad examples of missing the boat on that one and letting a model go out in the wild and then having to pull it back in and say, whoops, what did we learn? How, how does that not happen again? We've refined that over, over 10 years now. Um, but every company, you don't have to be advanced in this type of solution set to need to focus on the usage and fair use and responsible AI. There's a logical layer to this. And I think to John's point, you don't have to be uh, the smartest MIT graduate yeah. <laughs> to yeah. do this. But, right? the, but the MIT graduates are the smartest. They, yes. But, okay. Fair point. Um, it, it, it's, it's a layer of logic. It's asking yourself very sensible questions and setting those as your guidelines, right? And so it, it's a misnomer that companies don't do this because, oh, we, we, we don't have the ability to do this, right? Because right. right? Right. I do think it's, it's actually fairly simple. It's very simple to get the uh, process started. Um, that's encouraging. Um, folks are asking from the audience a related question, and I want your take on it, around in, how can individuals be confident in the privacy of the data that they provide? Um, and, and whether they can or cannot, how can we help you know, customers and individuals feel more comfortable sharing data in the world that we live in? I mean, from the cloud and the use of the cloud to sharing data to people using it to, to build predictive models. Uh, how do we think about it? I'll go to John first. Yeah, it's, it's a two-phased responsibility on the collector and, and the source of data. And, you know, I think we spoke a bit about the collector. You know, you have to have responsible use. You have to have policies. You have to you have to police yourself, you have to check yourself, you have to train yourself. We go through, at Microsoft, we go through every three months a rigorous standards of business conduct, and all of these training videos are, hey, are you collecting PII data? Do you know where that goes? Have you been approved to do that? I mean, it's, it's, it's a drumbeat. It's always on. That's our responsibility. But from the provider of data, and Dayan hit on this uh, because he said data literacy, um, it's all of our jobs to know what we're giving up, what we're opting into. Uh, I'm wearing a, a ring that captures sensors, you know, or it captures my pulse, my sleep, my activity. I'm giving this all up. I know it's going to this cloud. Have I read the usage? And no, I have not. But I've made that decision that what it's giving me, the value I'm getting back when I go to the app and say, geez, how did I sleep last night? That was, that was pretty terrible. Um, I, I want that, and I'm going to give this up. Now, will I dig in and find out what they're going to do with that? Sure. I did 23andMe, gave my DNA to somebody, but I opted out 
of any sharing and research. So you have to have literacy. You have to read, you have to understand what you're giving when it's intentional. You have to make a value decision, each person. The challenge I find is that when you don't know you're giving up your data. Right. You know, and, and that's where there are bad actors. Let's just be honest, they exist. Um, and, and the good actors uh, need to have those policies in place, the responsible AI policies. Beautiful. Uh, if we think about the NFL and kind of turn this around a little bit, the ethics component or the fairness uh, topic, I think, uh, has multiple dimensions, obviously, but one might be uh, the league and the different uh, clubs and the different uh, teams. How do you ensure competitiveness and at the same time also fairness in terms of distribution of data? How do you guys think about it uh, from your perspective? Yeah, so on the competitive side, I think, you know, there's obviously we, uh, on game day, we collect every player's information. Over the years, we've gotten to the point where uh, we work with the PA, the players have representation on that side of it to understand what data is being collected and being utilized. Uh, while each team owns that performance data and can utilize it, uh, we also, as a league, have the ability to take de-identified data and share it um, and sort of analyze it collectively. Uh, the health and safety data is a bit different. Obviously, there's HIPAA compliance. Uh, every team has the injury information uh, and health information for each of the players, and that is protected within uh, what we call the EMR system. Uh, and then we also, again, have the ability to analyze it on a more global basis uh, with our outside uh, companies, our biomechanical engineers, BioCore, uh, IQVIA. So, uh, you know, there is a balance and, you know, understanding, you know, to your point, John, in terms of knowing what you're giving up. Uh, I think in our universe, we do have, at least the players have that representation to ensuring what is being collected, how it's being utilized, and also which of that data the players own. So performance data in particular is something that they have direct access to if they so choose. Okay, fascinating. There, there, there's a, and it's wonderful because I think the players probably have representation here, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And it's a beautiful thing because they have a group, probably in the Players Association, that says, how is the NFL using your data? What are they giving you? What are you giving up? And what are you getting in return? <clears throat> and there's that transparency. Mm -hmm. On the business side, and this is where John stated it, it, it's on the user, agreed, but the, I do think that there's more to it than mm -hmm. that. I think it's on the company as well. Right. Are we giving people the transparent information of how we're using their data? Correct. Do they understand how we're going to use their data? If that data is going to be... Sometimes the companies themselves don't know it yet, how they're going to use the data, so they right. can't even explain That's right. it. Right. Right. And, and I think it's a really important aspect of saying, again, you're asking yourself, how am I, how am I harnessing this information? How am I modeling it? And what am I doing after I harness and model this information? And, and I do think that it's on the organization to be able to tell the user, well, okay, we're going to use your data on our platform to give you a better experience. For me, again, my own personal take on that is that's great, thank you, because I'm on your platform for a reason. But then it's gonna be, well, we are also gonna share your information here and here and here, and we're relying right now on government regulations outside of California. In the US, uh, it's challenging. In the EU, it's not, because they have GDPR. Um, and so it's like understanding, I wanna go back to your question, how do people get comfortable with PII? Right? How do they get comfortable sharing their information? Is understanding those guidelines that whoever they're sharing their data with, whatever platform you jump on, you should understand how do they use your data. There are certain platforms I will not be on mm -hmm. because I know they do not have a bar high enough for me to log in. 
Oh, they haven't expressed it and convinced you. They haven't. Yeah. They haven't made it transparent, or maybe it's hit the news on how they don't do it, right? And so I won't log in because I don't want my data used. So again, it's that transparency, and I'll say that that, that transparency is needed. It should be owned at even to the organizational level. Great, thank you um, guys so much. I'm gonna um, segue and talk about this analogy to the muscle, okay? So data as the new muscle. Uh, we talked about it a little bit up front, um, but I'm gonna go and kind of pu push a little bit on that analogy, if you guys will permit me. Um, we also have a question that relates to it. So my question is, how do you think about it in terms of muscles need to be maintained, right? Like if we don't attend to them, they will become weaker and weaker and they will uh, not be as useful to us. Um, we, we stretch, we uh, do reps, we do all of these things. We you know, build, uh, we let time for resting, we build in our surrounding muscles. How do we uh, make sure that this muscle works to our advantage and keeps on maintaining its strength in a healthy way? Okay, so that's kind of the analogy. Bring it back to data, right? Like how do we use that muscle and how do we maintain it and protect it? Yeah. So I'll, I'll jump in. I, I'm a firm believer it's a cultural thing within any organization. Do you have a test and learn culture? Are you continuously testing everything in which you do? Do you have a holdout group on everything that you're analyzing, on any way that you deploy your business? Because you should, right? And within that holdout, you're always testing, you're always learning. And so, but culturally in the organization, is it accepted? Can I bring to you a, a new piece of information every week, every month that says, oh, well, we tested this, right. let's tweak something. We tested this, let's tweak something else. And um, analysis is only as good as what you do with it. I could do the best analysis in the world, but if no one takes action on it, was it really that good? Right? And so I think that from an organizational level, you, you, you have, that has to be embedded. It has to be within the fabric of the organization. And that's hard. And we're going to go back to a, a question that, that we had earlier, right, about ha, has this muscle always been there? And what are we actually building towards? Right. right? And, and, and to pull that forward to build that muscle, that's that repetition. That is, we're always looking at analysis. We're always looking at ways to get better, right? We're always looking to improve. And facilitation of data that way, I think, is an extremely important aspect of how do you build that muscle. And so uh, Dayan talks about uh, culture as kind of a fundamental enabler of this muscle and strengthening this muscle. Uh, the question that the audience was curious, and it's a question that came in pretty early on, was about what is most likely to deplete or be de determinant um, um, detrimental to, to the muscle, really weaken it. Mm. Um, is culture the answer to that too? And I'll go to John. Like, well, is the wrong culture going to be dangerous and make that muscle weaker and, and actually disable certain functions in an organization? Yeah, it, it's going to weaken it the, more quickly um, than just there other Maybe there's other, other yeah. aspects that might also. Yeah, and, and we have a, you know, we do have a saying, you know, uh, owning AI is much more difficult than building AI. You can build a, a model. You can go call a pre-trained model with an API. It's great. You can do that. It is, we have democratized that as, as tech companies. Um, you, could, you could go do AI in three lines of code. Now, what are you going to do with that? Where are you going to put that? Who's going to use it? And owning it. So, so I think about everybody's so focused today on building the muscle. They hit the gym. They bring in all the data, pump all the creatine in, right? All of a sudden, I got this great giant muscle. This is amazing. Let's go lift some weights. 
And then suddenly you're starting to lose your form. Suddenly you tweak your back. Okay, your model drifts, picks up some bias. All of a sudden you're not looking at it anymore. You're out of form. And suddenly your recommender that's sitting on the front page of your website that's supposed to be offering financial packages to your, to your customers are suddenly offering very different terms based on your skin color. You're, you're, out of, you're out of whack. And you started to do that because you didn't keep the form. And I know I'm beating the metaphor down here. That's but fine. I think we have a few more minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but what does it mean to keep form? It means that you need to have truth in your models. You need to have data lineage. You need to be able to look how a decision was made. You need to have that ability, yes, and culture that it's okay to hit the panic button and say, whoa, you know, I know this thing brings us revenue every morning because it gets you know, a few million hits, but whoa, we're out of form here. And Microsoft had to do this. We, we put a chatbot out there as a research project and it was a reinforcement learned, self-learning chatbot. And we had the best intentions, the research group, and they built up this great muscle and it was this new, form, new technology we we're gonna bring to market. And boy, oh boy, within 24, 48 hours, um, it had become one of the most horrific, racist, rude, um, terrible sets of, of responsive AI. We had to pull it down. And Satya pulled that team into Redmond and they were all nervous. And you know, the way the story goes is he looked at them and he said, whew, what did we learn? What would you guys do different next time? Okay, you know, keep at it. But don't lose your form when you build that muscle. And I think that that's what's so critical. It is the culture. Had, had he just fired everybody, we're no better off. Right. He said, what'd you learn? How do we not do it again? And, and, and it is critical. The tools exist to see it, to see what's happening, to look inside the box, to have auditability, traceability, lineage. But you have to be willing to do it. Beautiful. Um, Don, in, in the context of the NFL, how do you see the use of data although it's been improving and increasing sophistication, where will it start declining? Or will, where, where are some of the weaker spots gonna emerge from if we're not careful? Uh, so, you know, I think just sort of first building upon the concept of how we made a better muscle, I think, you know, we used to have, it was very disjointed. Each of the different areas, whether it was the competitive side, the health and safety, the fan engagement, the viewership, they were all, they all did their own data collection and analytics. Um, but now we have sort of aggregated all of that and put everybody under one umbrella so they're all working much more closely together. They have an understanding what each one needs and is looking to improve upon. Uh, so I think that we've recently taken a step to sort of continue to build that muscle. But, you know, in, in my experiences, it's, you know, how you take that and you're utilizing that information for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And that's how I think it starts to deplete and really kind of veer off course if it's not carefully managed. And, you know, we mentioned constant evaluation of what you're doing, your why, what is, what are the results yielding? Um, are we tracking the right information? Are we putting this in the right format? Uh, and, you know, I think just overall, just constantly making sure that we're, that we're, that we're monitoring that. Okay, beautiful. We have um, among us in the room or online um, um, somewhere uh, in the ether um, uh, the next generation of uh, uh, sports analytics uh, fanatics and um, folks who are looking at this as a career path. Um, and the question that is coming in is around where should high school, what should high school students be focused on? I mean, mm -hmm. some of us have kids, uh, maybe at that age where they're starting to think about this. Um, 
what should they do? Should high school students do the CS, computer science, engineering, math, or are there other things that they should be thinking about now um, to prepare themselves for a successful career in sports analytics? I'll, I'll jump in. I don't think it's linear any longer. Okay. I think it used to be very linear. You go in, you get a computer science degree, you learn how to code a little bit, and then you get into this field. I think that there's so many other ways, and I'm going to specifically answer the question, like, what do you have to know? What do you have to get good at? Understand the platforms that are used for data science. I'd say, I'd say the first one, Python. Like, learn that. Right? And you don't have to, you, don't, you do not have to be somebody who t has a computer science degree. One of our best data scientists in my organization was a former chef. Right? Took a boot camp to learn how to become a data scientist. Right? Summer boot camp, he's fantastic. Right? And, and, and there's, and there's uh, other members, Juliet, uh, who's another data scientist. She was a professor. Right, for seven years. Professors right? becoming data scientists unheard of. Now I've heard everything. <laughs> who, who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Who could do that, right? yes. And, and, if I, and, and she was on our ethics. Uh, uh, we, we had a diversity, uh, equity, and, and inclusivity board that she, that she was speaking on, and she was saying that, I mean, she was a professor uh, focused on venomous snails. <laughs> right? And she's a data scientist at FanDuel. She's been there for a year and a half, and she's fantastic. Mm -hmm. right? And so it's not a linear approach. It, it's learn the tools that get you there. Right? There's teachable and unteachable skills. L learn those things that can get you there. And, and, and I think like understanding what those things are and getting trained in those things, that will make you, that, then you're going to be able to say, okay, now I want a job, and now I want a job in, in sports. And then you have to make that decision. Do you want to be on the team side? Do you want to be on the business side? But it'll, it's a kickstart of, what, of, of how to get there. Okay, beautiful. Go ahead, Don. I think building upon that, it, it's not just linear. I think there's definitely the technical side, and there's a very prescriptive way that you can kind of go about getting the right experience to, you know, to work in the field. But I think there's also just the broader, just ability to think differently, to try to identify use cases in which what you're doing is actually actually has application. I think it's really finding that value in having a more diverse background and being able to apply it because I always say sports is not, we're not curing cancer, right? Like there's, there's a passion element to it, there's an understanding of the game, but it's also being able to, to know when and how to apply the different analytical models and, and data. Beautiful. Uh, I'll go to John and then yeah, I'll Yeah, I was just going to add yeah. that um, not all data scientists are the same, right? Um, we have research data scientists, double PhDs, you know, they're out there really crafting maybe the next algorithm, the next model. Then you have applied data science, right? And, and this is what Don's getting at. It's, it's what's the use case? What am I trying to solve? What's the business outcome? And so if I'm in high school, I'm thinking, okay, Maybe I need to understand this field. I under, understand a little bit about Python. I should probably know like relational and non-relational databases at some point. But boy, if you do not have the communication skills, one, you're going to be limited as a data scientist anywhere. You're going to be behind a door, and they're going to slide pizza boxes at you under the door, and they're going to say, give me your great model. If you can't explain it, Phil, Phil Chang did an awesome session yesterday with how he gets analytic decisions across to LA Lakers coaches. It's about communication, simplicity of visuals. You need to be able to have that, and especially in sports. It's a human industry, right? I don't know what sports would be like without the humans. That'd be a little weird. So 
you're talking, you're influencing, you're coaching, and um, even though you could be a really brilliant analyst, you're going to have to make your case and get it across. So public speaking, debate, just having the ability to communicate is so critical when we look for data science talent. Beautiful, and I know, Dayon, you want to uh, chime in to add to that, um, and, and I'll segue because there's a beautiful connectivity to the next question. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to add a little bit to say, if it's a passion of yours, do it. Learn it, mm. create a model. When you, go on, when you go on an interview, show it to them. There's nothing more impressive to me that someone's like, you know what, I, I modeled something for baseball. I'm like, oh, let me see that, right? That's really impressive. So to follow that instinct and follow, uh, and follow what your passion is, right? Because it'll get, it'll get you to where you need to go. Um, there's a question that has come in about a topic that is dear to my heart around the uh, connectivity or the interface between man and machine. Uh, academia is fascinated by this right now, algorithm and human input, um, how they coexist, how they complement each other, where do they have friction. Um, and there's a question specifically about how do you see the man-machine interaction uh, in, you know, particularly in sports, come into play, right? So like how does the tech and models interact with the coaches? How does it interact with the players? How does it interact with the fan? Where is the human role in that? Um, and how do you kind of finesse that? Um, so that's a question I'll start with Don. Sure. So, you know, again, kind of going back to just the evolution of the collection of data and then the application and the use of it. And, um, you know, I think traditionally it's always been, oh, well, it, you know, they're humans, it's my instinct, I can make these decisions. But I think, again, over time you really see how there's situational application. And that's really kind of the area in which um, going back to whether you're utilizing the performance data to craft a, pr a practice schedule or how you're going to play players in different situations, whether you're going to go for it in a fourth and short, depending upon where you are on the field. All of those things, I think, have really, um, th those are examples of kind of how you marry the two of those together. Okay, beautiful, and, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think today there's a bit about, the, we try to use machines for optimization. Right? Little small tweaks to what you're doing. But strategy, I still think, is a human decision. Right? You can use data inputs, but there's a, a, there's a layer of consciousness that you have to put on top of that in order to make what I would consider the right decision for the team or the business. Right? And, and will that evolve? Absolutely it'll evolve. But th that's how I see kind of that delineation today, because you could programmatically train a model, change things on the website, small tweaks. But again, back to the, the coaches, they can get all the data in the world to say, yeah, you go for it on fourth and one on your 42. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? but, then, but then if you do it so many times, it works. Now strategically, now they have to change the playbook. Right. That's going to be the human element. Yeah. And bringing it full circle, it's then the subsequent data. It goes back to the evaluation and yeah. seeing, ah, that actually did work. Here was, you know, we're going to change the way we line up. We're going to change the play call in this situation. And I think that's kind of where they see and will continue to utilize that. And, and you know, it's, it's the competitive edge. How do we get that? And so tracking the outcomes of those decisions and reinforcing that mm -hmm. as a mechanism. And the why it worked or why it didn't. To grow, beautiful. Um, we have about five minutes left, uh, so time flies when you're having good conversations. Uh, I'm gonna ask each one of you uh, to think for a moment if you could uh, cold call anybody in the audience, if you could go down to the audience with a mic and ask people, turn the tables a bit. Uh, they've been asking you, I've been asking you, if you could turn the table and ask anybody in the audience a question, um, or even your fellow panelists, uh, what would that question be? What is top of mind for you now 
um, after this uh, thought-provoking conversation, after the whole conference, what is it that you would want to ask folks in the audience? Uh, John, can I start with you? Sure. Um, so being a systems engineer by trade, we, I, I try to solve complex systems. So we're always trying to make, you know, solve problems. So I would ask, because um, I had this amazing walk here this morning and I met uh, a Georgia State student named Jonathan who's uh, doing an MBA in data science and he's also part-time at a company and he, he's just this passionate guy who built a model to help the store figure out how to sell products better and he said, yeah, but they just told me, it's not your time yet. Relax, you know, thanks, but you know, not your job right now. And it was so disheartening to me. And so we exchanged contact information. So um, I said, I would say to you all, what is the biggest thing blocking you from making business impact and influence with what you can do with numbers, with data, with models, with insights? What's the biggest thing, the biggest roadblock to action? That's what I would ask, because collecting that signal um, makes us better. Okay, beautiful. Don? Um, I think for, for me, we are very, um, I think we always feel like we have the answers. So I would be asking you, like, what is it? We're very public facing. What is it that we're not doing or what is it that we should be doing better? Uh, and I think that's where we as an industry need to sort of start, start soliciting that information. We talk about data collection, but we're really not getting the input from individuals and identify the areas of opportunity that we're missing. Okay, beautiful. Uh, I would say, a little provocative, right? Like, Please. What? Where it's do only 9.30 on a Saturday morning. Where do you think data is going? Where do you think model building should be going? Mm. If, you ask this, if I asked this question 10 years ago, the answer is very different than it is today. I know what we know today. I don't know what you guys are thinking because this new generation, these people coming up, you guys are going to transform the game for everybody. Right? So what is that? And I, and, and I would love, like, if I could get responses, I bet you my mind would be blown with how amazing uh, the responses are. So that's what I would ask. Okay, beautiful. Um, so uh, keep in mind all of those questions, guys. If you're on Twitter, you can feel free to answer some of those questions uh, that were just raised. Uh, final thoughts as we say goodbye around uh, data is the new muscle. Are you feeling strong? Are you feeling weak? Do you feel like you need to go for a run? Don, how, are you, how, is, uh, how is the data muscle for you this morning? Ready to run a marathon. Ready to run a marathon, okay, <laughs> feeling empowered. And what is it that we've been discussing here that has kind of um, given you that strength? I think there's just still so much opportunity out there, so many things that we haven't done. You know, I have two individuals to my right and my re left who work in different industries, although a lot of connectivity between them. And again, going back to the COVID example, I think if we continue to align and collaborate and work together, like the opportunities are endless. Okay, beautiful. John, how are you feeling Saturday morning? Oh, um, same, that we're in full sprint, feeling strong, uh, but if I'm looking at the, the road, uh, there's no end in sight. Um, it's, it's what Don said. It's, it, the opportunity is exponential. It's endless. It's going to shift and go to these new concepts that we're not even aware of yet, um, and it's just such a fascinating time to be in this industry, to be part of this, and just as a diehard sports fan, if you can blend sports with work. Wow, That's, that, that puts me in this room on a Saturday. So feeling strong. Okay, good. I'm the, I, I'll, I'll anchor on the analogy that's been going along, right? Like I, I feel good because I'm at a good spot with this muscle. Yep. 
but I feel that I have a goal that is, trans I still need to transform my muscle, right? So I feel strong, but I wanna get stronger, right? And so to the people in the audience, especially to the students, I mean, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was, find something you love to do, find your passion, then find someone to pay you to do it. In that order. In that order. In that I, order. I would start with That's the right. pay, yeah. find somebody to pay you first. Um, but I'm a business school professor. Um, what I love about data and analytics and why I enjoy teaching it is that it really keeps me on my toes. There is never a, a dull moment. I cannot teach what was true 10, 20 years ago. I have to keep evolving and pushing my own knowledge. And uh, this morning, you guys all helped me push my own personal knowledge and continue to learn uh, from the industry to inform my thinking about it. So uh, please uh, join me in thanking our panelists here this morning uh, for the for your time and for your valuable insights. Thank you, and thank you to the audience for participating. Thank you very much. Thanks, yeah. Thanks. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.